Welcome to the Rust Belt Rundown, brought to you by Rust Belt Recruiting. This podcast is designed to shine a light on the meaningful work being done in Northeast Ohio and the surrounding region. We will convene manufacturing executives and Northeast Ohio business leaders for candid discussions about their business, regional happenings, industry trends, entrepreneurship, and more. Now, let's get running on the rundown. Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of the Rust Belt Rundown, a production by Workforce LLC. I'm your host, Paul O'Connor, and on this episode, we are joined by Michelle Rose. Michelle is the Executive Director for the Cleveland County Workforce Development Board. Uh, Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, All right, let's jump in. How does it feel to be coming back home? Northeast Ohio is the reason you moved back because of the weather? So hot take, I love the weather here. That Uh, is the hottest take we've ever had on a podcast episode. (laughs) The summers are so nice. You're also asking me this on September 8th, which is probably one of the nicest days of the year you can have here. It's cool. It's sunny. DC is very muggy all the time. And the winters aren't even that much more mild than here. So I would take Cleveland over DC weather any day. Yeah, I would say that's not a super hot take but what but being a fan of cleveland weather is certainly a hot take i think you may regret that in two months but i agree with you i think uh late august september october in ohio is is pretty great even june i think june is a good month here i don't know you're underselling it it's good weather <laughs> well we're gonna argue uh, about this throughout the episode but uh we'll move on to on your linkedin um your bio states that you're interested in worker-centered solutions and systems that change in workforce development, job quality, and labor policy. Tell us what that means. Expand on that. Sure. That was a bio that I wrote a few years ago now, but it remains true. And my theory of the case coming into this job, which is a workforce development job, is that I bring this perspective from the federal level of the ways that labor policy and the way we think about job quality can bolster workforce development efforts. And I noticed when I was here before in Cleveland that there was a lot, a lot of focus on workforce development and serving business and employer needs. But to me, that's half the equation. And I'm very lucky to be doing this job at a time where workers have more buying power with their time than they've ever had before. And because demand for workers is so high, what does that look like for workers? What can we translate uh, for workers in terms of higher wages, uh, appropriate benefits, pathways uh, into career advancement within these same companies, true access and inclusion, uh, and the freedom to organize? And I, my sense is that most employers and businesses want to offer these things and often don't know how. So again, my theory of the case is that there are best practices, there is is research. Um, This is all known at the federal level and pushed, but the place to actually make that happen is in these local workforce development ecosystems. So that's why I am excited to be here because I think this is a very exciting moment. Um, And it's especially an exciting moment here in Cleveland because of what feels like a new era. So like I said, I've worked here before. I'm back now as an appointee of the new mayor. 
And he also, I think, represents not just his own time in office, but uh, an era in which more younger leaders, um, I'm an elder millennial, are taking the reins of organizations and what that means for our uh, economy and our workforce ecosystem. Big fan of uh, Mayor Bibb. He's also a former guest on the podcast. So you guys have yes, that in common. But I want to go back to the term buying power. I think, you know, that's not a necessarily new term, but that's probably the first time I've ever heard it in reference to employees. And I think that's an interesting perspective in terms of how to frame it, right? I mean, I, if I read one more article about quiet quitting, I, I, my eyes are going to bleed. Like, I'm so sick of the term. That's not a new term uh, or a new even, uh, you know, initiative. Like, people have been coasting at work uh, for forever. But buying power, right? It's it's the pendulum has definitely shifted back towards employee and wants and needs and demands, which should never be a bad thing. But somehow, some way, there's always some negative connotation with that. But I like buying power. I think that needs to stick. Well, our time is very valuable. We're employees too. And we spend a lot of time at work, uh, oftentimes away from our families. And we want that work to be at best meaningful and impactful, but at the very least dignified. And I think that's what we see now. I mean, everything is a supply and demand equation, including jobs. And uh, I, I wanna help employers and businesses who are telling us they need workers. And there's a lot of research out there about where the workers are and what kind of choices they're making. And with that information, how can we balance that equation? And I feel like that is a fundamental role for the Workforce Development Board for Ohio Mean Jobs, Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, to help balance that equation and be a clearinghouse for workers to come to get jobs and businesses to come to get workers. Yep. Love it. Um, okay. So you've had a pretty good balance in your career of, you know, super local work, local focused work, and then national based roles. Tell us what you like about both environments and then ultimately what prompted the move back to a more locally focused workforce development initiative. Yeah, thanks. It's a great question. If you look at the time I've spent in Washington, it's about 10 years total at the United States Department of Labor and now just about a year and a half here in Cleveland. So in terms of days on the job, it's not very balanced, but in terms of my focus and intentions, it's balanced in my mind. So I'm glad it appears that way to you. You know, the truth is, is I really grew up at the Department of Labor and uh, the colleagues I made there in the early part of my career will be friends for life. And it helps orient me to how I will approach this role in Cleveland. I loved working at DOL. It feels like home. The, you are aware when you're there of the scale of the impact of what you're pursuing, but it's hard to see. And there aren't a lot of days where you see impact that overcomes the frustration that I often felt, especially in my most recent stint. I was the head of Congressional and Intergovernmental Affairs for the Labor Department, which was a very fun job, but a very frustrating job. And at the time I left, they haven't passed, they hadn't yet passed a lot of these bills we've seen passed in the last few months. So I really went to get the Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh confirmed, and a number of other eight subsequent DOL officials confirmed. 
And that in itself was a good day's work. Uh, we did a lot of legislative work during that time and internal advising on political and congressional strategy. But working with Congress is not something that I ultimately miss. Around the same time, I was feeling like I had accomplished a lot at DOL, even in um, 16 months. Uh, Mayor Bibb was elected here in Cleveland. Uh, people started asking who I might know that would be interested in running the workforce board. And I spoke up as being interested and everything kind of came together. I obviously did a series of interviews. I've known Mayor Bibb for a while now. And I think he sees my theory of the case um, as valid and this idea of what can we do to uh, move the economy, create these projects, but also ensure that these job openings existing and future are truly available to our residents. So I spend a lot of time on workforce development and a little less time on workforce attraction. And I'm very happy and proud about that because there is such an opportunity here in Cleveland to um, address poverty through really meaningful job training programs and workforce opportunities. I love it. Um... We're going to get a little bit more focused with this next question, shift gears a little bit, but I want to talk about the, the, what we're calling the transportation paradox. People need transportation to work, but people need work to have transportation, right? What have you seen other markets or other cities do to try and combat or help uh, the transportation issue, obviously highlighting public transportation, and, and how do you plan to help in, in the future in Northeast Ohio? So one of the things I think a lot about in this job are people's barriers to work and to training. One thing I'd like to see in my tenure here is more people being willing to go into training for a little bit for a long time before they get into a career pathway. Then I think we can feel more confident that they're heading into a career with long-term earning potential. And the most frequent barrier that we see cited is transportation, the ability to get to work. Um, and I do not pretend to be an expert here. I think I have to shout out my friends at the Fund for Economic Future who recognized this, what they call paradox quite some time ago and started seeding projects to creatively solve this problem. And what they got was a lot of creative projects. I think they did eight pilots in all about how to connect workers to jobs. Part of it is centralizing jobs where people are, but for jobs and um, opportunities that are further afield, what are the various modes of transit that can get us there? A potential and seemingly easy solution is always going to be better public transit. And by better, I mean timely, safe, and inexpensive. And I think we have a ways to go in this community to get there, but it does feel like there is at least some public support to do that. So I do think that could potentially be a real and sustainable solution for us, but we're not there yet. Have you seen any cities do this successfully? I mean, I, I would, you know, I lived in New York for five years. I wouldn't necessarily call the subway uh, success, but it certainly gets the job done. You know, you can get anywhere 
Now it, you know, it's going to be delays. You may get rained on, you may get yelled at, but you can get uptown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same in Washington and yeah. uh, our, or Washington's transit system called the Metro was, has been declining in quality in recent years. But yes, it does get people to where they are. I don't think that's good enough though, because to me, a reasonable barrier is taking two hours on public transit to get to your job. And um, that is something we have to fix. So that's not acceptable to me. And I don't think it's acceptable to most people. Do you think there's been a lot of talk here in Ohio, specifically in Columbus, for the want and need of the Amtrak, the almighty Amtrak? Um, I can only imagine how much fun it would be to, to say, and again, like, I mean, you know, this living in DC and just being on the East coast, like if you want to go to Philly for a day or Boston or New York, you can do it, you know, and you don't have to drive. And if you want to go to a game and, you know, imagine all the Columbus people that'd be like, you just want to go to a Cleveland game today and like not worry about drinking or parking or, you know, you can just go there and come back. Um, will we do it? Are we going to do it? Why won't we do it? <laughs> Where are we at? I don't know that I have much more insight on this than anybody else, but I hope so. On a personal level, I would love to be able to travel that easily. I do take the rapid from my home in Shaker Heights downtown frequently, but only when I know I can be a few minutes late to something. And I think, again, that quality and timeliness is something we should expect from our public transit so that we can rely upon it for work. I don't know if we're going to invest in in more trains. Um, I think one thing I'm very excited about from a workforce perspective is the infrastructure laws investments hitting the ground, um, how that will affect Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, and maybe there'll be some train money in there. I don't know. Yeah. We can hope. We can hope. Um, Okay, so in 2023, there's going to be a changing of the guard when it comes to the, you know, executive leadership in Cuyahoga County, regardless of who it is. How do you expect their leadership, you know, to help cascade to the Workforce Development Board? This is a great chance for me to acknowledge how important the county and its staff are to the operations here about Uh, A quarter of my staff here are technically county staff. I'm a city employee, but we have county staff here who are um, mostly handling a lot of our fiscal business. That is incredibly important work and they do a great job. The county staff who sit in the county building are also partners to us on the execution of a lot of this work and in thinking about how to design programs that reach county residents. I also want to say that County Executive uh, Budish has really focused on workforce in his tenure, including in the creation of the Workforce Funders Group and the Workforce Connect Sector Partnerships in healthcare, manufacturing, and tech, which were extremely important and laid a groundwork that I have benefited from already in my time here. So uh, obviously there's a change afoot um, and soon. I don't know uh, Mr. Weingart. I do know Chris Ronin fairly well and Um, Yes, regardless of who it is, it will impact um, the staff here who work for the county and also the focus of how we will spend our time. I hope that they come with some ideas, um, ideas and models to import, sectors of focus that the new county executive cares about. Those are all things I'll be interested in hearing, and I suspect and hope that they will also 
confirm the directions we're heading already. You know, I think most people who work in the workforce development ecosystem see what our needs are, which again, it's to double down on these legacy sectors that I mentioned, but also think about what the looming needs are. My sense is that those looming needs are in construction and infrastructure, and to also meet our more localized goals around uh, clean energy and lead remediation and broadband deployment. And we just don't have enough workers in those fields right now. So I'm hoping that the next county executive will confirm the path we're on, which is standing up more programming in, in those sectors. We can't talk workforce without the another just think piece that I think everyone's tired of reading of, you know, remote versus in-person, you know, versus flexibility versus not all those things. So I think, look, the vast majority of people, whether you're pro remote, pro in-person, I think everyone agrees we, we need more flexibility. And I think we have gotten there, right? You know, I've always make the joke, like, you know, earlier on in my career, if I had a doctor's appointment at two o'clock, like it would give me anxiety of like, what am I going to do? Like, do I have to take PTO? Am I going to be allowed to miss an hour? And now it's not even a thought, right? Like, I don't even know, probably I've told my team, Hey, if you have a doctor's appointment, I don't need to know, right? Like just do your work. And you know, it's, it's right. output is more important than the hours uh, that you're sitting at your computer. So, but not everyone feels that way. So how do you see this affecting where people live, the rise of remote jobs. Is this a spike and we're gonna come back to in-person? Like where are you at with, with working remote? Well, I have a personal view, which is that remote work works pretty well for me. And that's uh, for a few reasons. One, like I said, I was running a congressional affairs office in Washington, which is usually incredibly tactical in-person work, but because of the pandemic, I did it remotely and we found a way. Um, I also have three young children, so I understand well what flexibility gets me, but I'm also starting a new job and it feels important for me to be physically here in my office where I am right now more frequently than I might have been. And culturally, Cleveland seems to be more in person than Washington, I've noticed. But I'll also say, I agree with you, it seems like there is a wide variety of options and it's hard, I think, for employees when they start a new job to know what kind of workplace or um, culture set by leadership that they are getting. I think the most important thing that we see in those conversations is true collaboration between management and their employees so that everyone can get to that place of trust that you mentioned. I too would not really like to know where my employees are or if they have a doctor's appointment, because I trust that they're getting their work done. But I understand that not everyone's comfortable with that. I do think that like many things of the pandemic, it's forced us to have this conversation, which is ultimately a good thing. And how do we make it consistent and uh, consistently available for more people? I can't force that on employers except to say, I think there will eventually be more data on how that is true. I think though, this benefits Cleveland because like I said, weather in June and it being a nice place to raise children, make it an appealing place to live for a lot of people, me included. And how can we encourage people who are fully remote living somewhere else to come here? That's a little bit outside my current job description because like I said, I've been very focused on developing our residents here 
for the jobs that are available and will be available. But there's also an incredible amount of good work happening through other intermediaries as well on attracting that workforce. And I think there are a lot of options in that space as well. So assuming that this is somewhat here to stay and we're gonna be flexible from here on out, what does that mean for downtown areas? You know, Columbus has a whole uh, initiative where they're looking to double, if not triple the downtown residents by, I think it's 2035 or 2040. Um, do downtown, you know, traditionally, the literally until 2019, you know, it was, it was, you drive in, you drive out. Sometimes you stayed for dinner or a happy hour, then you went home. Like, is that, that has fundamentally shifted. So is there a need for downtowns to shift or are we going to be close enough to that model where they're, you know, they will essentially stay the same? So as a city employee, I'm supposed to talk about how our city revenue is down because it is produced by income tax and how that's a problem. <laughs> um, because when people work from home and they're not coming downtown, um, that hurts our revenue. However, I think the other side of that coin is that downtown is and can continue to be a great place to live and work. And how do we continue to make that true for people who do want to live downtown? And that looks like walkability. It looks like great restaurants, which we have. It looks like parks and other amenities. There's a lot of great work happening in this mayoral administration around this when it comes to city planning and making downtown a great place to live and work. I think it's going to look much different though than it's looked in the past and that's okay. I think we have to be comfortable embracing that some office space may need to become residential and we do need more middle market housing. So how can we achieve a lot of those goals in the same swoop? Okay, so last question. Mm-hmm. This, I always joke with our guests, this mm-hmm. sometimes is the hardest one, but you went to uh, our enemy, our rival, Miami of Ohio. Oh, I, an, I didn't know this was a rival conversation. I am okay. an OU grad, so uh, your answer will always come with a grain of salt, but you can answer, <laughs> you can answer three different cities. This is, we usually say, you know, favorite restaurants, go-to food in Cleveland, but we're going to focus on Miami. So what was your absolute go-to food spot in Miami? And you could also, if you want to throw in a DC and a Cleveland uh, restaurant shout out, you can, you can do one, you can do all three, whatever you like. So I'll start by saying my parents went to OU. I, you know what? I, think I love them. Great people. OU and Miami have more in common than we would like to think and that they're they both great college towns with a lot of fun and good places to eat. I actually saw some of my Miami friends over the weekend and I told them I was gonna be asked this question and there was a rigorous debate about what to say and I ignored them all and I'm gonna answer because I've been thinking about this. Um, if I could go to Oxford right now, I would sit outside at Skipper's and have a chicken salad sandwich with waffle fries and a beer tower, mm. um, which is something I had quite a bit while I was there. and. I know everyone's expecting me to say bagel and deli, but I'm going to say skippers. And um, in DC, the restaurant I went to the most, because uh, it was a lunch spot for my office, even though it's sort of fancy, is an Indian restaurant called Rasika. And nice. if you haven't been there, uh, go on your next trip to DC. And 
here in Cleveland, my favorite place to go is not so much a restaurant, but it is a bakery on the rise, which has two locations in the Heights. And they have the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had. So those are my tri-city answers. <laughs> I, I love that there was a, a big debate with your Miami friends about what to say. I love that. Um, and then I didn't ultimately listen to them. So I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> for for anyone that wants to connect with you, follow your, your journey, your story, where's where's the best where, uh, place for them to do that? So uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn. I also have a Twitter account where I love more followers and talk about workforce and labor policies. Um, we can share those in the podcast, right? Yep. Um, but I also don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about the agency that I'm running because more than anything, a, metri- a measure of success will be more people coming here to seek our services for training or reemployment and more worker and more employers coming to us to find good workers. And both of those things have to be true for either to work. So OMJCC, check us out. There are lots of resources here and a lot of people are not aware um, on the participant level of how many of these services, resume help, job search help and training are free to them. So I hope someone listening will, will check it out. And, um, you know, that's across all kinds of occupations, education levels and experience levels. So awesome. That's what we're up to over here. Love it. Well, Michelle, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Good luck in your role. Uh, please give mm-hmm. mayor Bibb our best. And, uh, next time I'm, I'm in Cleveland, I will check out that chocolate chip cookie. Yes, please do. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Rust Belt Rundown. Make sure you check us out at rustbeltrecruiting.com. The Rust Belt Rundown is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and click on five stars if you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.